If you think the current American political climate is contentious, then you need to take a step back and take a close look at American history. The most controversial, divisive, and probably corrupt election in U.S. history was the election of 1876. It's an event that has been largely forgotten by most Americans today. Learn more about the election of 1876 and why we never had a President Tilden on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream. If you're interested in American history or presidential history, CuriosityStream has several programs that'll pique your interest. They have programs on several U.S. presidents, including Lincoln, Nixon, Truman, both Roosevelt's, Kennedy, and many others. Prices start as low as $2.99 per month or $19.99 per year, one of the cheapest streaming services online. If you love to learn, then start your subscription by visiting everything-everywhere.com slash curiositystream or by clicking on the link in the show notes. People often have short memories. When they complain about modern-day politics or controversies, they often forget that we did fight a war between ourselves which killed over three-quarters of a million people. It's very difficult to get worse than that. Moreover, the effects of that war have reverberated for generations, and many still affect us today. I've done two previous episodes on presidential elections and what made them odd. The first being the election of 1960, in which the outcome was never really in doubt, but the accounting used to calculate the popular vote in Alabama was really odd. 
the second being the election of 1824, which had four different candidates from the same party who all won at least three states, leaving no winner in either the Electoral College or the popular vote. Both of those elections were odd, but they didn't peak the meter in terms of controversy. The rules were followed, even if people didn't necessarily like the outcome. The election of 1876, however, is another beast entirely. This election, though largely forgotten, laid the foundation for many of the problems which the United States is still dealing with today, and was by far the shadiest and most controversial presidential election in American history. Let's start with the backstory of where the country was at. The Civil War was over. Spoiler alert, the North won and the South lost. Union troops still occupied some southern states. The 14th Amendment was passed, which dissolved state legislatures that were in rebellion, prevented anyone who was in the Confederacy from holding federal office, and gave freed slaves the right to vote. This military occupation, plus the ability of freed slaves to vote, plus the suppression of former Confederates to vote, ensured that a few of the former Confederate states were solidly Republican, even though the vast majority of whites in southern states were Democrats. The nation had also just completed eight years of the Ulysses S. Grant administration, which was one of the most corrupt presidential administrations in American history. On top of all of that, the Panic of 1873 led to an economic depression that was still in play during the election of 1876. Grant, following the tradition of George Washington, decided not to run for a third term. That threw the doors wide open for a replacement. There were no political primaries back then. All of the debates and campaigning for a presidential nomination took place at the party convention. At the Republican convention, two-time Ohio Governor Rutherford Burchard Hayes won on the seventh ballot. He was a relative unknown coming into the convention, but ended up winning as a compromise candidate. His running mate was New York Representative William Wheeler. The Democrats selected New York Governor Samuel Tilden by a landslide on the second ballot, after almost clinching his nomination on the first ballot. His running mate was Indiana Governor Thomas Hendricks. Tilden was a reformer who was responsible for shutting down the Tammany Hall political machine in New York City and throwing its leader, Boss Tweed, in jail. The biggest part of his platform was to clean up after the Grant administration like he cleaned up corruption in New York City. In 1876, there were 369 electoral votes up for grabs, which meant you needed to win 185 to become president. This number, 185, more than any other presidential election in history, is going to become really important. After the election took place, the results were tallied, and this is where the problems start to arise. Not that it mattered, but Tilden had won the popular vote. He received 50.9% of the popular vote, becoming the only person in United States history to get a majority of the popular vote and not win the presidency. All other cases of the person winning the popular vote but not the presidency did so with just a plurality of the vote. The states that voted for Tilden gave him 184 electoral votes, exactly one less than the number required to win. Hayes had 163 votes at this point. The problem was with four states in particular, which accounted for the remaining 22 electoral votes. Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina were all southern states which voted for Hayes. They also, not coincidentally, were the only three southern states where federal troops remained. Initial results from all three states, as in all the other southern states, seemed to go for Tilden. There was widespread fraud in all three states. Back then, parties would print their own ballots, and many of the Republican printed ballots had the Democratic symbol next to the Republican candidates, tricking illiterate voters to voting Republican. 
In South Carolina, the number of votes cast was 101% of the number of eligible voters. In all three states, the Republican-controlled elections board invalidated enough ballots to give the election to Hayes, as well as governorships to Republicans in Louisiana and South Carolina. In Louisiana and South Carolina, the Democrats went ahead and created their own governments to approve their own state of electors to the Electoral College. Even if Hayes was given all of the electoral votes from these three states, he would still need three more electoral votes from Oregon to get him to 185. And it's in Oregon that it got even weirder. Hayes clearly won the popular vote in Oregon. There was no evidence of fraud here like there was in the three southern states. However, the governor was a Democrat, and he declared one of the electors to be illegal because he was, quote, an elected or appointed official, which is against the law. He was a postmaster, and he resigned just before the election so he could serve as an elector. He just appointed his own elector, a Democrat, to be one of the electors from Oregon, and that one elector would be enough to swing the entire election to Tilden. On December 6, when the electors assembled to vote in the various state capitals, both the Democratic and Republican electors in Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana both voted. And over in Oregon, both the governor's appointed elector and the original elector voted. So what do you do when even the states themselves can't figure out what their own election results are? Congress wasn't much of a help, as the two houses were split. The Senate was controlled by Republicans and the House controlled by Democrats. They created a body which would sit for the single purpose of resolving the disputed electoral votes from these three states. They passed the Electoral Commission Act. The commission would consist of five members from the House, all Democrats, five members of the Senate, all Republicans, and four Supreme Court justices. A fifth Supreme Court justice would also sit, and that one would be chosen by the other four Supreme Court justices. In total, there would be 15 members and the decisions of the commission could only be overturned by both houses of Congress. The initial plan is that there would be seven Republicans, seven Democrats, with Independent Justice David Davis being the tiebreaker. The problem was, Davis had just been elected to the Senate in Illinois by the Democratic State Legislature, just as the Electoral Commission Act was being passed. The Democrats assumed that they had tied up Davis's support by giving him a Senate seat. How clever! However, it backfired, because Davis recused himself from the commission to take his seat in the Senate. There were no other independents on the Supreme Court, which meant that they had to select a Republican, which gave the Republicans an 8-7 to majority on the commission. Over in the rest of the country, people were starting to get angry. The chant of Tilden or Blood was being raised all over. One Kentucky member of Congress said he could raise an army of 100,000 men to march on Washington if Tilden wasn't elected. The Electoral Commission met in the Supreme Court building in February of 1877 and acted just like a court. They heard cases from the various states, and the cases were presented by lawyers. Tilden's lawyers argued that the commission should look at the decisions made by the individual state electoral boards. Hayes's lawyers made the claim that they should just accept the state results as to not violate the sovereignty of the states. On a straight party-line vote, the committee decided in favor of Hayes. For each state in question, the committee voted by party lines, and in each case, they voted for Hayes. That would give the Hayes the win in the Electoral College by exactly one vote, 185 to 184. Because of the terms of the Electoral Commission Act, both houses had to invalidate the results, and the Senate wasn't going to do that. The Democrat-controlled House began throwing everything they could at the wall to stop the process, 
They made challenges to the votes in Vermont and Wisconsin. They instituted a House filibuster where they entertained tons of motions designed to slow everything down. What finally resolved everything was known as the Compromise of 1877. In the unwritten Compromise, the Democrats agreed to end the filibuster and allow Hayes to assume the presidency in exchange for five conditions. First, all U.S. military forces would be removed from southern states. At this point, the only troops left were in the aforementioned Louisiana, Florida, and South Carolina. But this guaranteed their removal and that a repeat of 1876 wouldn't happen again. Second, at least one Democrat would be appointed to the Hayes cabinet. This was done by appointing a Democrat to the Postmaster General. Third, another transcontinental railroad would be constructed, this time in the South. Fourth, there would be legislation to help industrialize the South. Parts three and four never happened, and there was never really a serious attempt to make it happen. Number five was the big one, and it changed the face of America for a century. Number five, southern states would have the right to deal with blacks without interference from the federal government. This basically laid the foundation for Jim Crow laws in the South, which wouldn't be overturned until the 1960s. Hayes was inaugurated as president without incident. He became a very forgettable one-term president, other than the fact that he happens to be a really big deal in Paraguay. Listen to my previous episode about that if you haven't already. In hindsight, the question you have to ask is, who really won? Sure, the Republicans won the White House, but for what? The Rutherford B. Hayes administration? The price of the presidency was giving the Democrats the core of what they wanted, especially in the South, and completely undid everything the Republican Party had worked for after the Civil War. Freed blacks in southern states were the staunchest supporters of the Republican Party, and they were all but abandoned. So much of what the United States went through in the 20th and even the 21st century can be tied directly to the decisions made around the election of 1876. Most Americans today have no clue who Rutherford Hayes or Samuel Tilden were. Yet the results of this most contentious election in U.S. history, though mostly forgotten, are still with us today. The executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. Today's listener review comes from Randy Four in the United States. He writes, My favorite daily podcast. Love this podcast and have listened to and enjoyed every episode. Something new and wildly different every day. Episodes are short and fun and is now how I start each day. Thanks. Well, thank you, Randy, and thanks to all of you who listen. Remember, if you leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, you can have it read live on the show.